And all right, I think it's time to get started. Yes. Happy New Year, everyone. You know the sound. It's another Thursday I. The first one of this year. And I am so happy to be back. It's not like we went anywhere. We did one. Like the last, this last Thursday, I was just like, we, we recapped the, the last year. And now we're back. And there's a bunch of exciting stuff to chat about. Obviously, a bunch of open source. Even though it does seem like a little bit, like folks took a little bit of a vacation. And as I started summing up the things we're going to talk about this week, it started to look like, oh, there's maybe not a lot. But then we got breaking news as I was summing up. So we're going to talk about them as well. And there's quite, quite a few things to cover today. So we're going to have quite a few things in open source. Let me just run through everything we're going to talk about. To This is a new thing I'll do. I'll just try to run through this quick so you guys remember. And then we're going to go in depth on each one. And, and then, you know, we'll see if we're going to have more of a conversation. Uh, we just a, a little bit of a housekeeping today. So first of all, everybody who's new here, you're listening to Thursday I. Thursday I is a podcast and a newsletter. It's recorded live on X. This is what, uh, if you're in the audience right now on X, this is what you hear right now. My name is Alex Volkov. I'm a AI evangelist with weights and biases. And I've been doing this in some form or another since March 14th. So we're uh, coming up on the year. I should start thinking about what we're going to do in the year. Maybe we'll do like a proper raffle. I don't know. Maybe we'll give out GPU credits. We'll see. We have a few more months. And we've been tracking open source AI, LLMs with big companies. We've been tracking voice and audio advancements and vision. We're going to talk about some vision, exciting vision stuff as well. So if you're not following any of the podcast or the newsletter, I welcome you to go to thursdayi.news and sign up. Definitely the motto here is we stay up to date so you don't have to. And obviously, there's a lot of people who do this type of podcast slash newsletter slash space. Ours is a very specific one. There's no debates too much. There's barely any kind of conversations. We just give you an update about what's happened in order to fairly quickly get you up to speed and let you go back to your work. Oftentimes, I'm joined by experts in different fields on stage because I'm not an expert in many of the stuff that I talk about. And it's really fun to hear from the folks who are actually building the stuff. And so uh, we have a few of those in the audience and oftentimes they join on stage and talk to us about the stuff they released. This actually, we do have this time we have in the audience, we have Jun Yang from the Quen team in Alibaba and we're going to talk about Quen VL. We've talked about Quen before for those who remember. And we oftentimes have news research folks and some other great people in the open source LLM industry. We're definitely big friends with Hugging Face as well. I see Omar in the crowd, and we're going to talk about some stuff that recently Hugging Face released with audio. Actually, NVIDIA released it in sooner, but Hugging Face and VB, one of the friends of the pod here, who's into the audio stuff, did the main announcement about, which is, which is a shout out to VB as well. And we're here every week, and you're more than welcome to follow me and follow Umesh as well. Thursday I actually is one of the speakers here. If you follow that account, you'll get only the Thursday I content, not my personal content as well. And here's a brief recap of everything we're going to talk about today. So generally, the structure is fairly the same. So you can expect to hear the structure every week. We talk about open source first because this is what we love, open source LLMs. Not just like open source, That's that would be too much to talk about. We talk about open source LLMs, uh, specifically we've talked about uh, fine tunes and different models and different releases 
And so this week, we're going to talk about the new wizard coder. I actually have a thing prepared for that. AI breaking news coming at you only on Thursday I. <laughs> I love using this little newsy transition because Wizard Coder just announced their like new model and we're going to talk about that. We also going to cover Technium's Hermes 2 fine tune on Solar 10.7b. So if you guys remember, we've talked about Solar from Upstage and we've talked about Sung Kim is I think the CEO there. We've talked about them and the potential of did they train some something else etc. So we talked about this last week. But since we've talked about this, Technium and News have trained on solar, so we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about exciting news, potentially exciting news in the world of embeddings. I see a few embedding friends that are welcome to also chime in on the stage as well. We're going to talk about the E5 state-of-the-art embeddings from Microsoft. And this is, I think, all in open source. It's been a quiet-ish week. If you remember some crazy weeks, we had days that are like bigger than this, but still, there's a few exciting stuff to talk about here. Then we're switching usually to the big companies and LLMs and APIs. Actually, this was a very quiet week from the big companies. Nothing from OpenAI, nothing from Tropic. I think I got one email from Tropic saying they changed terms and conditions, not something interesting for us to report about. But Samsung is about to announce something with AI, so we're going to probably talk about this a little bit and speculate. And then Perplexity announced around. They're not a big company, but, you know, they're getting there. In the world of vision... This week, we actually have a very exciting conversation because Quen, which is Alibaba's LLM and recently LMM, so large multimodal, have upgraded their Quen VL1, which we've talked about before, to the Plus version in 14B. And I had a chance to play around with this. We have one of the authors, like I said, in the audience, Jun Yang. And then we're going to talk about that. And Jun Yang, if you want to, you're welcome to come up and tell us what's new there. And also, C uh, Act from <laughs> where's C Act from? OC OSU NLP Group, the the guys behind Mind to Web. So we're going to talk about C Act, which is taking GPT four Vision and making it a, a general web agent. And then, in the voice and audio category, we have something that beats Whisper. It's pretty cool. And I think a cool thing to chat about is the mobile Aloha bot. Uh, so basically the last category we have is tools and agents. And I think uh, it's about time to add bots there because I think this year, if, if we listen to Jim Fan, this year is going to be the year of the bots. And definitely the Stanford released mobile Aloha made a splash on the web. And definitely, probably most of you saw the video of that little robot like driving around and doing tasks. So we're going to chat about that as well. And I think that this is like, this is all we have for today. It's not a huge lineup because it's the first week of the year people are waiting, but exciting stuff from Wizard, definitely. All right, folks, so this is what we have for today. And I think it's time to get started. And I think it, like I already did the sound, the, the, the news breaking sound, but Wizard Coder is one of the coolest things that was just released and it's worth, worth mentioning for sure. So let me just add this to you guys on the Jumbotron so you can see. Wizard Coder from Wizard LM has just released, what, two hours ago, just as I was starting to arrange my notes for today, they released a new fine-tune. I think it's a DeepSeq fine-tune. We've talked about DeepSeq before, DeepSeq Coder, and they claim to achieve a state-of-the-art performance on the human eval evaluation, and I think another one as well, MBPP, which I'm actually not super familiar with, and 
and they also have human evil plus. So basically, Wizard LM have fine tuned whatever data sets they have on top of uh, DeepSeek and DeepSeek Coder, which DeepSeek Coder is a very capable coding open source model that we've talked about before. And uh, and now they they achieve like a insane almost eighty percent, seventy nine point nine percent on human eval. So on on pass one. So human eval for those of you who are not familiar, some new folks are joining us. Human eval is a set of Python questions, I think, from OpenAI, if I'm not mistaken. And there there's an interesting kind of confusion there, where you can ask your model to solve these Python questions with one pass, or you can actually do several passes. And then obviously, the more information you give the LLM, the more chance to fail and see the failure mode, the better it, it does. And pass one, solving 80% or getting like a 79.9% score is for, for an open source model is extremely impressive. It passes GPT 3.5 Turbo, which we all used until GPT 4, and we all loved in, you know, most of Copilot, I think it was using Codex or GPT 3.5 level code. So this is a model that passes Copilot is what, two? I want to say two and a half years, maybe three years in existence. So this is an open source model that passes all of that. And I actually have something to mention there in a second. It, it passes the Gemini Pro as well. Gemini Pro actually on that, if you're looking at the same graph that I'm looking at, which has been to the top of the space, Gemini Pro is not that great at, at, at all those scores. So we're still waiting for Gemini Ultra, obviously, and we'll let you know when Ultra drops. And this is an open source model, a 33 billion parameter open source model. 33 billion parameters, by the way, can fully run on your Mac, especially if you get one of the latest ones, because quantize that, that, that can definitely run on your Mac. And it's incredible performance. Now, here's the kicker, okay? I've been playing with local models, and I will talk about this with LM Studio. And hint, hint, next week we may have an interview with LM Studio we've talked about. It gives you guys a super simple way to download models from Hug and Face, run them on your Mac using Metal. For some reason, they're not using MLX. And I've been able to run some of these models with LM Studio. And recently, I saw a repo from Daniel Gross, the guy who invests together with Nat Friedman, previous co-founder of GitHub. They invest together, they do a bunch of stuff. Daniel Gross also does super cool things. He had a repo that enabled, with some configs in VS Code, enabled you to run local models with the Copilot interface, right? He had some code that shows you how, through settings, you can change the Copilot uh, endpoint that for a local LLM that runs on your machine. And this is super cool. And so I saw this yesterday, and I was like, can I do this? I want to try to do this. So definitely now the wizard coder is achieving like this great performance. I want to see how fast this runs on my new Mac. I just got a new Mac and I posted a thread about this. I probably should add this to the top of the space. And I think we're going there, folks, like 79 human eval. And uh, the score here is like ridiculous. And I think it's very close, if not already there, that on Beefier computers, you're going to be able to run the coding assistance completely offline and completely offline means several things for many people we've talked about this obviously none of your code gets shared with github or microsoft for many of us it's not a big deal honestly for me it's not that big a deal but also downtimes without network you can code on the plane which many people like to do many people who fly to san francisco and back they preload in those llms and Obviously, you can tweak it and you can ask it to do the stuff that you want to do. Not to mention fine-tune. If you have a specific coding style, et cetera, you can probably fine-tune as well. 
very exciting uh, Wizard Coder 33B, and we're going to, to, to test it out. However, since it just released two hours ago, I haven't been able to play with this. Omar, you want to comment on the uh, Wizard Coder real quick? Yeah, exactly. Hi, everyone. I'm the Chief Lama Officer at Coginface. I work a bit in open source product communities, uh, a bit of everything. I will never get tired of hearing I'm the Chief Lama Officer. <laughs> this is amazing, dude. Yeah, go ahead, please. Go ahead. Yeah, so yeah, I just wanted to say that I think that the release is quite exciting. I think, as you mentioned, the model is based on Deep Sea Coder. Uh, and I think it's important to mention that human eval, it's a very... It is a very small data set. I think it's 160 per questions. Uh, and Lipsy Coder, there, they have an instruct version, which is 78.7, and this one is 79.9. So the improvement is nice, but actually it's just two more questions, right? Uh, in the evaluation. So uh, I think the risk is nice. We saw the take up for these very cool models that perform very nice, but I think, yeah, I think uh, we'll see how it performs. Uh, actually being just in production use cases, but yeah, I just wanted to mention that because human evil, everyone is using it to compare conf models, but it's really not super good evaluation data set. Yeah. Human evil is a very common one. And like, we tend to over-index on that one score, Omar. I think you're right. They also have quite a difference between the MBPP kind of score. I don't know about MBPP, but a wizard coder like underperforms with GPT 3.5 turbo. So sometimes I think. This is a announce or this is a statement we're going to have to say every time we talk about scores. The evaluations don't mean necessarily real world performance. We all know this and we keep talking about this. However, they give us some estimate, but they definitely are being used by folks to like jump on scores and do announcements from time to time. Definitely there's a difference between real world performance and scores. I think it's interesting that you say that, that this fine tune of wizard on top of already very well performing deep sea coder is, is just like a few questions more, a few more questions, right? Because this doesn't necessarily mean that it's, you know, just a little bit better. It could be quite significantly better. For example, if they trained it on, I don't know, longer core generations, for example, I haven't tested yet and we will test and, and get back to you. But as we often talk about the way to evaluate many of these things is not only evaluation scores, but basically vibes. And what people say after they use them a while. And here, I think is my good time to also remind you folks, the subreddit called Local Llama is one good place. And another place is LMC's Arena. LMC's is, I think, from also Stanford. If I'm not mistaken, probably mistaken. LMC's.arena, it is like a human evaluation score that they have after you go there and you play with a bunch of models, LLMs mostly, and then you choose which of the uh, suggestions you, you get two suggestions in the same window you don't know which model is what and then you as a person you choose and then they collect like a bunch of choices and then they give us like a round score of like human preference this is more for llms less for code but definitely it's also a very good way of actually figuring out like what's going on and how these models perform yeah thank you yeah, Omar. sorry yeah i just wanted to say that for code what would be interesting i think actually gathering feedback for code can be potentially much easier to get once it's integrated well into VS Code, for example. Once we have Copilot kind uh, plugins with local LLMs, as you were mentioning before, potentially based on uh, if people actually use the code that uh, was suggested by the LLM, uh, that would be a very nice way to, to gather data. Uh, data. I think that would be quite interesting. Uh, but yeah, we'll see uh, how it looks. Absolutely. Go ahead, Amesh. 
Yeah, we are already using a local model with uh, VS Code extension. I'm really excited. Like uh, this is probably going to be one of the things that we'll do quite quickly to test this out. And if it stands the, the kind of benchmarks, then even fine tune on your own repository could be really a groundbreaking thing. I was browsing. I was like, why not more people are talking about this? If you can run local models with the same interface with Copilot, with the same integration, but behind the scenes, it will talk to your local models. That would be super cool. And it's possible. And I can't wait to try it out. So I will try to report back to you guys about this for sure. And here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. A quick thing before we move on. I got this new Mac. I've talked to, to you about this. I have a thread of me setting this up. I, I will add this. And finally, I have a beefy machine that can run like 33 billion plus models. And I've been running them and I've been running the next model that we're going to talk about is New Hermes uh, update on Solar. But News also has a 33 billion parameters fine tune on, on, on top of Yi. And that's 20 tokens a second on this machine. And, and that's very fast. Even for code generation, that's quite fast. Definitely is as fast as like Copilot was at least in the beginning. Copilot now is way faster. Yeah. Thank you, Omar. Thank you uh, for hopping up. Omar needs to step down. I've been running this locally on LM Studio and I've been thinking like, if I can connect Copilot to this backend, would I use this? Would I use this on top of, I don't know, the paid version of Copilot that's always there? And I actually don't know. I don't know if, if I would, but if I can fine tune, that's a different story. Okay. So a new fine-tune from News Hermes. Hermes is one of the better performing smaller models that around the 7B. If you didn't use News Hermes 7B on top of Mistral, you're missing out on the local models thing. Everybody's talking about this model as like being the, one of the more performing ones. And this is coming from the News Research team, specifically Technium and his Hermes dataset. And as we were talking about the, the, the solar 10.7B last week and kind of the, the, the back and forth, we actually talked with uh, Sung from the solar team uh, from Upstage, I think the, the company, the Korean company behind solar. Uh, we've talked about uh, how they trained it, whether or not they, they use different, different methods. Um, oh, we also talked about attribution or lack thereof of this merging method that they came out with the paper. And then Andy95, which is a community member in the open source who we invited to Thursday, I, and he didn't want to join because he doesn't like to speak English, apparently. So we talked to, uh, with the solar team about the lack of attribution in their paper. However, meanwhile, this kind of conversation was going on. Still, it's worth mentioning that the, all of the top models on top of Hagen Face leaderboard in, in open source large language models are trained, uh, like uh, all of them are solar 10.7b. This model apparently beats like 70 billion parameter models as well, at least on the Hagen Face leaderboard. And as we were talking about whether or not they attributed correctly, whether or not the merging, you know, thing, I think they called it DUS, whether they came up with this, whether it's novel, all that conversation that we had, Technium was fine tuning throughout this all of this time. Technium was fine tuning the, the kind of the top uh, model there. And so new Cermis released on top of Solar 10.7b. I ran this locally. It's very capable. I literally, and uh, I wanted to mention this on Thursday, I, I literally used this model instead of GPT-4 to do a specific task that I needed to do. And I wanted to tell you all about this. So without going back there, because last time it was like a, a whole thing, there is a renewed interest in this like superconductor thing. And then most of the time, about the superconductor, people talk about this in different places. But I do use my tools to translate the news as they come out. And sometimes the translation 
is not that great. And so I use LLMs to go t take the whole translation, a whole transcription, and just ask LLM to, to, to translate it or to correct the translation. I use this often, and this needs a lot of context. And so I, I didn't used to use GPT-4 for this, but now with a lot of context, I, I try to use GPT-4 for this. And funny thing happened, really funny thing. And I love OpenAI, and you guys know my love for GPT-4, and it changed all our lives. I started getting this, okay, the, the text was in Chinese. This was an interview in, in, in one of the Chinese networks. And I started getting this very interesting network error. <laughs> very interesting. Every time for the same text, I pasted the Chinese text, I started getting the network error. I pasted the, the English translation, started getting a network error. And, at, you know, after three or four tries, this didn't anymore seem like a random network error anymore. It seemed, hey, some classifier, something in, in OpenAI, something triggers their whatever. And for some reason, they're not telling me something else. It was, guys, it was really super weird. I tried five, six times on the same text. I was getting consistently getting network errors. I even posted about this on my, on my feed. And... So I went on Claude, which I use often, and Claude definitely has a bigger context, and Claude was able to help me with the translation, and then it also failed. So there was a lot of text there. I want to say 18,000 tokens or so, maybe. So Claude actually started translating it and didn't get to the end. And then I was like, hey, I have this like LM Studio on my Mac now. I have, you know, I have the bigger context window models as well. We have Copy, Capybara 33B. Uh, on top of Yi, we have this like latest release from Technium. And I tried the solar like Technium Hermes uh, translation, literally pasted all of it, and I got a great answer. And I literally sitting there and I'm thinking, hey, this is a great example of why open source models <laughs> exist. First of all, if to believe OpenAI, the network errors are problematic, and now I'm sidestepping them because there's no network errors, you run the model on your machine. Second of all, I'm not sure if that's an actual network error. Honestly, like for the same text, suddenly like it fails. It smelled not that great for OpenAI. I actually don't know why. I can send you guys the text afterwards, probably put it in show notes. I don't know why it was like what it was triggering in there. You know, it wasn't, there's no profanities there. Maybe something about Chinese and government, maybe, I don't know. But here is an actual use case. And I just wanted to highlight this. Nistan, go ahead. Also introduce yourself briefly. Hey everyone, I'm Nissan Tahir. I am a software dev in Toronto and been working on a lot of these open source models lately and previously worked on the first doctor wrapper on, on the market. Yeah, I was going to say, to be fair to OpenAI, running DevOps for 100 million users at once, that kind of stuff is going to happen. It shouldn't happen, but it is just the scale of things. Just you're running DevOps for 100 million people. You're going to have some over-provisioning issues. Something went out. So I, I don't think it could be a censorship or monitoring thing, but they're monitoring everything anyway. So it's I, I would just give that to a, a DevOps hiccup. But again, it, it highlights the point that when you have the model locally, you don't worry about that. Nistan, I'm with you. And you know that like in Thursday, I specifically, I'd rather not have any conspiracy type stuff. You know that this is my like stance on Thursday specifically, but I've tried different texts and and they passed. So like it wasn't it did, it didn't feel like a downtime on their end, uh, and also it, it did get to a certain point and suddenly showed me the network. So I'll send you the text and then we'll, we'll do the we'll do the test together. If it fails for somebody else, then you know it's no longer a DevOps issue. I don't believe. 
But definitely this highlights the open source nature of if you run this model on your computer, then, you know, you will not have these issues. And uh, again, folks, hopefully next week we're going to talk about LM Studio, which is, I found, the best way to actually chat with these models on your Mac. And all of you can download it today. But next week we're going to talk about LM Studio with LM Studio. Hopefully do a, a deeper deeper dive there. All right. I want to introduce briefly, I want to introduce VB to the stage. VB, welcome. Welcome. Feel free to introduce yourself. And then I wanted to chat to you about MLX because I know you're part of that community. Sure. Hey, everyone. I'm BB. I work as a developer advocate for audio and a bunch of other things at Hugging Face. And nice to be back. It's great having you. Happy New Year, brother. So uh, you're also part of the MLX kind of community, right? So MLX, just briefly for folks in the audience, Apple released a way for us to run inference on specifically Apple hardware without any additional requirements, I think without the PyTorch MPS backend, maybe. So could you give like a brief primer yes. about MLX? So just for everyone else, like MLX is basically uh, a framework much like how PyTorch is or TensorFlow is or Jax is, except MLX is a framework built from ground up, taking everything that is good from individually, all of these you know, frameworks. It is built specifically for one device and that is, you know, Mac. And right now it only supports the metal backend, but in future, once the, once the neural engine backend becomes public or, or, or has public APIs, then it would also support that. Right. And like it, it came out, I think sometime in, in December or end of November, and it's been picking up like crazy. There's almost like a tribalistic, you know, community around it where people are converting checkpoints to, to MLX format, and they also support quantization. They're not at one-on-one -on -one with, say, Llama.cpp right now, but they've been gaining speed, and they've been, like, making improvements pretty much every release, every other release. If you want to get in on the action <laughs> ahead of time, then I would definitely recommend what you know, keeping an eye out on MLX as well as next examples, which is the repo wherein all the inference magic happens. Awesome. Vibia, so there's like this MLX community, there's a bunch of work I've seen, maybe because I have you on my Twitter feed, but maybe because I follow like many people. Do models need to be converted slash quantized into this format to be able to run? So funny you asked that. Over this week, we were working with the MLX core devs to, so beforehand you had to, Convert it into a into an NPZ format, so into essentially a format which was non-standard, right? And recently we added support for C, which allows essentially all Llama slash Mistral slash Tiny Llama checkpoints to be directly be loaded from their transformer safe on of safe tensors file, and this essentially means that you don't need to do the conversion anymore, right? There is, however, one caveat like in case you want to run quantized model models then you need to quantize them and you know you can again push them to the hub what we've done right now is we've provided scripts so that you can convert these checkpoints directly from transformers checkpoints so this means that not only llama 2 or you know what's it called mistral not only the base checkpoints work but also all the fine tunes that the community has right for example noise hermes checkpoints or you know all of the different fine tunes that keep coming up on the open LLM leaderboard or or thereafter, all of them work as long as they have a safe tensors file on the hub. So you can directly just do Python space generate.py 
past the hub identifier and it automatically downloads and it just works. Wow, that's great. And the benefit there, this is supported by the kind of the Apple folks as well. And it looks like Apple is definitely stepping up their game in terms of local inference on on, on machines. Go ahead, Nissan. Yeah, I was going to say something, but I also had a, a, a question for, for VB. The interesting part of this will be when it comes to, I, I think it will be when it comes to Xcode uh, development and uh, getting stuff to run on iPhones and iPads because you've got such a vast amount of, of people to deploy to. And the, the options right now are pretty limited. Uh, you can run llama.cpp, but it's a pain to do it in Xcode. I did it way back in, in March. Uh, you can run MLC, which works, but it's again, a very small team. It's mainly one person uh, doing the whole thing, the, Tensor the TVM, the Tensor Virtual Machine. So I am glad there is this support here now because it will mean that eventually we'll have also much better support for Apple accelerated silicon to run these these models in. So now my question stems from this difficulty, and that is to use the neural engine chip of Apple to actually uh, run more of the LLM workloads. So right now, it, it does a lot of vision stuff. It can do... ResNet, uh, it can even like do Clip, but it can't really do the text processing, the uh, LLM text processing via the neural engine, because the is just too much work. <laughs> the a lot of the math magic multiply operations are different. It does some quantizing by default that you have to do, so it's a little bit of a mess. And I always hoped that they would come up with some programming abstraction like. MLX and stuff to work on this. But yeah, my question for VB is that this is only for metal right now, right? It's only for metal and only for Mac, or do you know if it's uh, more supported for iPhones as well? If I got your question, then it was like about, about Core ML, right? Listen? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially, if you look at it, like the biggest problem right now, if someone wants to run workloads on Neural Engine, is that first of all, Neural Engine is not an open API, right? So essentially, you need to like run it using a core ML runner and just hope that the neural engine sort of processor decides to put your model on the neural engine and run through it, right? And there's no way for you know us to sort of program that, okay, now this model should run on neural engine. It's decided you know, at the time of inference. And so that's one of the biggest issues. And also, core ML works by and large on static shapes. So you cannot, like, so you, you need to decide on the prompt length or like a generation length and it would only generate up until then. There are like some hacks to go, get around it, but that is like one of the biggest issues right now. One of the things that I'm quite bullish about is there's, there is a PR open in MLX, which adds a core ML runner. And of course, like right now, MLX does not directly support the neural engine runner, but at least like we get to bridge the gap of being able to have like freely shaped input and, you know, essentially just run whatever we're running via core ML runner as well as metal backend. So that's definitely a step in that direction. And also the reason why I'm also like betting on the MLX team is because it's from Apple. So the, the minute, you know, Neural Engine becomes an open API, MLX would be the first, first one to you know, integrate it just because they would have the first dibs and they would be able to support it much better as well. 
And that's also why like MLX, if you've ever run like a workload on MLX, it's just so nice to see that it scales so well and they automatically parallelize tasks and so on. In general, I think to summarize, look for the PR for Core ML Runner on MLX. And second, hope that Apple releases or opens the API for Neural Engine. Okay, thank you. Because so far, I've only been have only been able to run Whisper on on Core ML, and that was a mess <laughs> to get get working, but it worked. I'm going to look at this, and, and their code is pretty clean and stuff too. So. I'm also looking forward to like how you can integrate MLX just for uh, Apple workloads while keeping the rest of the code in yeah. the same. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So at least they are starting to somewhat support it. Speaking, speaking of Whisper, VB, you had another thing you wanted to chat about and uh, being mindful of your time. This is one of the things that I have. So we're skipping forward to the voice and audio category, folks, just because uh, we have VB here and he's the expert and I'm not. But NVIDIA plus Suno. If you guys remember Suno, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Recently, they came into significant highlight because Microsoft added them to the Microsoft Copilot as a plugin. And so you can generate full songs with audio and lyrics and just like very long songs, very nice ones. We covered Suno back then. So now together with NVIDIA and Suno, they released something that's called Parakeet. And VB, VB, you're the first one who I heard from talking about this. So would love for you to introduce Parakeet and then talk about some of the interesting architecture there and also how it beats what it beats. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Awesome. So uh, the release Parakeet, first of all, it's an uh, English-only model. It comes in two variants. One is a RNN transducer variant and the other is a CTC variant. And it comes in two sizes. One is a 0.6 billion parameter size and the other is a 1.1 billion parameter size. Now, why is this interesting? Is that at least for English, it beats Whisper to punch. And it beats like it beats Whisper by almost like 0.75 word editing, which means that for every 100 words that you transcribe, Parakeet model make one less mistake than Whisper. That, and that's huge, especially if you're like transcribing, you know, hours and hours of audio. Not just that, these models are roughly, I think roughly two to three times faster than the fastest possible implementation of Whisper. Oh, I didn't know this part. Faster than the insanely fast whisper thing that you guys work on? Yes, de wow. def definitely, yes. <laughs> and the reason why this is, is because whisper is is an encoder-decoder model, right? It ha it, just by the virtue of it, it works similar to how, like, it would take audio as an input and then, like, it would decode text out, you know, akin to how LMs would work and so on, right? However, the way... Parakeet models work is by using CTC, which is a method of, you know, essentially having a fixed vocabulary of letters and essentially transcribing a letter at a time. And and it's just like blazingly fast because it like the it doesn't have to do like any sort of like the decoding step in in a CTC model is essentially just a softmax or essentially classifying between seventy or eighty odd characters. Right. And so in English, you only have, say, you know, 26 characters, add some numbers and so on. So it's generally quite easy to train a model on that and, you know, essentially get to fast transcriptions. Right. And I think the only other important thing over here is like, how did they actually get such nice results is they essentially trained on something like 65,000 hours of data and out of which 25,000 hours of data was public. 
So it's like all the public data sets that are available for English, Libre Speech, Fox Populi, you know, a couple other people's speech and so on, like all of these data sets. And they also have like, I think something like 40,000 hours of data that they curated themselves, which they haven't released. And it's likely that it is this 40,000 hours of data, which is really high quality, which led to the performance gain. And how much is that compared yeah, to Whisper? Like, Do you over, remember? I think you, you compared it. Whisper was. Uh, oh, yeah. Whisper is 4 right? million. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like 65,000 yeah. hours and Whisper is 4 million. And this yeah. beats Whisper by one less mistake for an hour, right? Of audio yeah. or something? Wow. For every 100 words every that it transcribes, words, yeah. it makes one less mistake. Yeah. So, it's like much less than an hour. So, maybe two minutes. Yeah. And I think just to say that, why is this? Like, one thing that there is really nice about these models is that uh, these are commercially viable. So essentially like not commercially viable, but like they are commercially available. So you can do whatever you want with these models, same as like how Whisper is as well. So like they are fully open source, except that we just don't know where the 40,000 hours of data came from. So yeah, you know, build APIs on top of it, essentially. Yeah. So you can run those in your own things will now, without fearing that NVIDIA is going to come after you. Oh, this is very cool. Like super fast transcription, English only, unfortunately, right? So many of these translation mm -hmm. use cases, for example, like Targum, the startup that I built before joining Weights and Vices, I specifically need the multilinguality of Whisper. So this is English only. However, we know for a fact, for example, I know that this specific space, the whole transcription, the whole, we're going to do this in English only. Running this through something like that is probably going to be very interesting. Maybe I have a few questions because, you know, in order to use this. Uh -huh. Whisper uses, Whisper gets something like initial prompt in order to, let's say, when I say VB, that it knows what VB is or like a mesh or whatever. Thursday I, for yeah. example, is not a word. So it doesn't understand it. Whisper has initial prompt. Does this have something similar to that? Or would it be no, like... No, just, just because of the way the architecture is, you cannot do like initial prompt. So like you cannot pass an embedding and say that condition towards it. Because mm -hmm. the decoding step is just classification, right? There's no thinking. Not thinking is like a very abstract term, but there's nothing you can do to steer the output towards a particular classification here. Oh, I see. So I, I, I tried it in other languages and I posted the link to the space so people can try it too. It's very interesting when you talk to it in other languages, you'll output like English sounding kind of words, but they're very accurate as to what you're saying. So it's almost like you watch those TikToks and videos of people trying to sound like English speakers, but this is that in, <laughs> in reverse. It's pretty funny. I recommend people to just try out the space, talk to it in, in another language, and just watch it Englishify all the output. It's pretty interesting. It works well. The reason why it works is because it's essentially taking like 10 milliseconds uh, of audio, and it is assumed that as a phony. And then it classifies it into, you know, one of 70 possible characters, right? Whichever phonemic sound in English would it map to, it would just output that letter, right? I was just saying that it's a kind of a transliteration. So basically, there could be some other applications also available, right? Because specifically for, if you talk about in India, the way English is used and even Hindi words are transliterated into English. So it could be used for that. Yeah, de definitely. There's you can also do that with with Whisper to an extent as well. But there's definitely like use cases like that. Although I, you know, if it was like if I was to do something like that, I would definitely want to use something with like a model which is specifically created for that purpose. 
instead of like something like this. But yeah, definitely, you know, like it's a fun use case. You mentioned also two other things, Vivi, that it doesn't hallucinate. Whisper has a big problem where sometimes at the end, it would just add words that nobody said in the thing. So this doesn't do that because of the architecture? Yes, exactly, exactly. And so the reason for that again is that the problem with Whisper is that if there is silence, right, it still wants to predict like some sort of text for it, right? Just because it is a it is an encoder decoder architecture, right? So uh, for every input, it wants to create some output and, you know, it just cannot say that it's silence for 30 seconds, right? In this case, in the case of parakeet models, because like you can map uh, no sound to nothing but a space, right? In terms of an actual character, you just say that if there is no sound or if there is sound of rain or if there is any sound which is not a phoneme, then you just map it to a blank space. Um, then the model just does not hallucinate architecturally, right? And it just works wonders. By the way, we also have wave to wake 2 models, XLSR wave to wake 2 models from Facebook, also conformer models from Facebook, also on the hub. These are all like models which follow the same architecture. They also don't hallucinate. It's it's not like a new technology. I think I recapped Parakid very well. We were just talking about, you know, it took us a while to beat Whisper. And then I think Whisper version uh-huh. 3 came out and then back on top. So almost a year and a half since Whisper first released. And it's still undeniably uh-huh. the king in multilingual. So it's very interesting because, you know, uh-huh. in other areas of open source, we get jumps, significant jumps in performance, in context length, in different areas. And this one looks like it's all about data or at least like a huge amount of high quality data, etc. So got to wonder if the data sets from them will be released at some point. But also, yeah, how to follow this? I, I told folks to follow you any anywhere else. Yeah, I think just like purely from from like speech standpoint, right? Be it text-to-speech and also be it speech recognition. The biggest problem is that the data just like not not just in terms of available data, but also like just in terms of size. When you start training these models, you just need like really massive amount of, you know, compute to train them just because your per token sort of memory required is higher, right? for audio models. So that's why like inherently it's very difficult for for people to train models at this scale. In fact, there's Shinji, who is the, the main author of ESPNet. He at CMU is running a project called Open Whisper Project, wherein they're trying to get to Whisper scale, but using like open data sets. As an interesting project, don't look out for those checkpoints. They're going to release another one maybe soon. And, you know, that ju- and they're struggling big time just to get like enough compute to to, you know, use all the open access data sets in the first place, right? So I think the space is still trying to figure out what to use, what to not use. Whisper Large V3 definitely showed us that we can use synthetic data or like pseudo-labeled data. That's something that we also did with this, you know, distill Whisper. And in this year, I definitely envision and, you know, I'm quite confident that we see much, much better modules than, you know, what we see today. So yeah, I'm quite bullish. And if, you know, anything that happens in open access or open source audio space, I, I definitely those or, you know, tweet about those. You know, if you want, add me to a list or something. And uh, yeah. Yeah, follow Vibi. Vibi, feel free to stick around. I know you, you were tight on time. If you need to drop, definitely feel free to stick around. The next thing that we have in this area is Coqui. And if you guys remember, we talked about Coqui uh, when they released the XTTS open source uh, text-to-speech, which was the best at the time. And we had Josh from Kokui here. Kokui was a um, 
machine learning group in Mozilla. It started there uh, and uh, they created deep speech and common voice and, and different other TTS things. And then it spun out in 2021. And so we had Josh up on stage here when they announced XTTS, which they launched as a web app and open release. And unfortunately, not every startup there works out. Even those who support open source as well, unfortunately, have to find ways to make it work. And so with, you know, we oftentimes update about great news, but sometimes friends of ours need to continue to somewhere else. I'm sure many of those folks are super, super talented. So I'm not worried about their personhood and kind of their ability to make money in this world. But they had partnerships with Hagen Face and Mozilla and Indiana and Google and NVIDIA, like all these like great things. And still the business looked like it wasn't taking off. There's a few other kind of text-to-speech startups that do make it. Uh, Play.ht seems to be in a, in a good place. And obviously 11 Labs we, we knew, we heard about. None of them released open source and Koki did. And unfortunately they shut down. Shout out to Koki, shout out to Josh and, and the Koki team. Uh, if anybody's hiring, the Koki team is probably a good place to reach out if you're into this. And so reach out to them if you're hiring for those positions. So this is a shout out for Cookie. It's still, the Cookie TTS is still on, on GitHub, so you still can use it, just no longer going to be supported. Shout out to our friends from Cookie. And I think this is it for us on the, on the voice and audio thing. And I think we're moving to, yeah, let's cover the big company LLMs and APIs, just real brief. There's nothing else there besides there's not a lot of stuff, like I said in the beginning. The two things that I wanted to mention is perplexity is the kind of the new search engine coolness with AI. And it's very interesting how fast perplexity grows. And I, from time to time, use perplexity. I don't pay for it yet. I probably should at this point. It looks like many people already have replaced uh, Google with perplexity. I definitely use their mobile app and they have a quick launch thing. Uh, perplexity has... AI built in into search and they're growing fairly fast. And I honestly, when I started thinking about this, I thought this task is going to be impossible compared to Google size and, and Bing and all these. And even Bing with all the Microsoft's backup and power and money doesn't come close to Google or at least didn't used to. But then ChatGPT came and then, you know, Google started stressing out because many people just prefer the chat interface on top of just Googling. And, you know, we've talked about where's Google most of this year or most of last year. We were already in the new year. So most of last year. And then Google obviously came out with Gemini. Google introduced BARD into the search results. So people do, many people do actually want to ask questions in the natural language and not contort themselves into how to think about asking the Google engine specifically for best results. And perplexity is like behind the scenes already been doing this for a while. Before BARD, before, you know, before I think around the time with Microsoft Copilot integration, but definitely it's a search engine with AI rather than AI on top of a search engine. And they just announced a, a new round and I think like a $200 million valuation or so. And so shout out to Perplexity. Uh, I probably should start thinking about paying for them because I definitely saw some search results that are okay. The one thing I really like, because I also like you use Perplexity on the mobile, is that it allows you on iPhone to log in with an anonymous account, which just forwards to your Apple ID. And that's one of the only ways that you can have an anonymized login for all your search results. results. Still pay for it. 
and not have to give out your uh, bank account, uh, kids uh, account, main account information. So you can just use it with the blah, 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 blah at iCloud.com. And uh, you can have peace of mind and still pay for a good service. And that's so that's one of the things that Perplexity has knocked it out of the park. Wow. With I think is is that feature because then on um, on Mac you, you can do the same thing in Safari. I think we're coming up on an hour and something. We still have a, a few news here, so I will just reset the space and say, hey everyone, you, you're listening to Thursday AI. Thursday AI. We're here weekly to talk about everything important in AI news from the LLM or LMM perspective. So multi-model, which is next, and then open source. We cover big companies. We just had experts on stage from Hugging Face talk about audio and the latest sooner releases if you're into this and you missed any part of this feel free to subscribe to thursdayi.news which is literally the website that news is a top level domain apparently so thursdayi.news will take you to all the links to you can listen to this on spotify wherever you get your podcast and big thanks to the hosts co-host nisten and umesh and then the guest speakers we, we had few from hugging face and some other folks now as we move forward i wanted to mention this one thing that we didn't cover in the area of open source, but this is from Microsoft, so this could fit nicely into the big company area. Microsoft released a state-of-the-art text embeddings model that was trained with Mistral. And if you guys remember, we've covered this before. I see friends in the audience who were here with us from Gina. Embeddings are a big thing with like reg retrieval augmented generation now. Many people uh, don't rely on large context windows instead they embed and put their data in a vector database and in order to then retrieve them you have to embed the queries so embeddings like started being a very big thing even though a long time ago with vortovec like 10 years ago i think on your ips embeddings started and Microsoft has announced like a new thing. I think for most people would use the ADA embedding endpoints from OpenAI. That's at least for most people. However, in the world of open source, there's a bunch of like embeddings happening. And so again, we've chatted with Bo, who's in the audience about like Gina AI's embeddings. They were state of the art back then. And I recently remember, I think again from Bo, a thread about many people, like with every other hugging face kind of evaluation that's open source, there's benefits from some people to actually fake and start training their models on top of the evaluations in the leaderboard. We've talked about this in the same with the OpenLLM leaderboard. The same happens with uh, MTEB leaderboard, the, the big embeddings models. And today or yesterday, Microsoft released the E5 state-of-the-art text embedding model with a, f with a few interesting things in there. First of all, it, it tops the, the leaderboard in MTB. It's huge compared to other embeddings models. And again, if you're running open source embeddings, the benefit there, there is as small as possible. So you think like half, half a gigabyte or a gig and a half for the bigger ones. The kind of the up running things so far were BGE, and GTE, I think, GTE large, and then Cohere had an embedded model lately as well. And all of them are in the area of a gigabyte or half a gigabyte. Microsoft released a Mistral-based embedding model. So basically, they took Mistral and fine-tuned it to create embeddings, if I'm not mistaken. And that's 14 gigabytes in size. An additional thing in embeddings is like the dimension size. So 1024 dimension is roughly most of the embeddings on Hugged Face is 1024 dimensions. This one is like 4,000 dimensions. I think it's just like the basic, it connects to the context length of Mistral. And then also sequence length. Sequence length is just like how long a text 
can you shove into one embedding? Most of the open source ones were like 500 characters. Uh, this, this one is an incredible 32,000 characters into one embedding. Now, it doesn't make sense. Like we've talked about this before, embedding so much text will basically generalize whatever words in there to something very basic. So it's not going to be super useful for you to embed a whole 32,000 characters of a PDF, for example. If you embed all of this, you will not get like a very super helpful embedding, but it supports it. But I think on the actual model card, and I think we had somebody from the Thursday I community told me that there's a recommendation of them to not exceed 4,000 tokens in the sequence length, even though it supports like 32,000. So I think it just like, they just put it there. So this is a state-of-the-art embeddings based on the numbers itself, but not necessarily the best one to use. Even and, and again, showcases the utility of leaderboards, right? Like we have leaderboards. Sometimes they show what's the best model. Sometimes they're confusing. They're confusing because several things. One of them could be that the kind of the metrics based on which the leaderboard is created, they're not super useful in a real world, world scenario. Um, e five also requires a one sentence instruction for queries, which adds complexity. So you have to tell it that you want to embed something in a specific way. Again, it's huge. And the alternative models, they're like as performant almost entirely on the average. There's like an average score that the Hugging Face gives you. It's called, the, they have 56 data sets. Basically, all of the size and all of this, like they mentioned, is barely better than a tiny one gigabyte model. By the way, welcome Bo to the stage. Bo from GeneAI, welcome. And I saw you like react to this and reading the paper. Do you have any insights from this specific thing? Yes. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Bo. And um, this is actually a really nice research paper because previously most of the embedding models are trained on uh, like a encoder architecture because people think that the encoder architecture can learn a better like representation of the text or sentences. But this one was like trained on the mystery a 7 billion model, I think. And this model was purely a decoder architecture, I believe. Because this kind of decoder architecture, the, the, the previous tokens cannot see the next tokens. So people uh, in the embedding community generally don't use pure decoder architecture to train embedding models because they think because of the lack of context information, this decoder model cannot learn a good representation. But this one was like bring some novelty here in terms of research. And the problem of this model is also quite huge because this model was trained on the synthetic generated data from the GPT 3.5 and GPT 4. So which means um, you cannot use it for the commercial purpose because I think OpenAI have a licensed have a license in their in their in, in their the written that you cannot use the use OpenAI to train models to compete with OpenAI and this one apparently <laughs> it's 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 rules from OpenAI so basically you can use it for research purpose but not for the for business case, even though this model might have a very loose license, but I guess the data is not allowed to use in, in, in the real world. Another problem is the, if you look at the most of the powerful embedding models using the encoder architecture, it's actually 
quite smaller. So if you can consider BERT large as a good backbone, so BERT large basically have a parameter size of around 300 million parameters, or maybe a little bit more, 330 million parameters. This one has 7 billion parameters, which means it's much, much larger than the BERT to, to, to inference. So this might bring a little bit overhead. But um, the good thing about it is the training is very effective. So you get synthetic generated data. You don't have to do the do a lot of training. You don't. You just use LoRa to fine tune the seven billion parameter model a little bit. Then it just worked out of the box and topped the leaderboard. That's pretty cool. And also, so languages as well. They they mentioned like uh, a lot sorry? of languages as well that it supports. Where yeah. Yes, they, they said they synthetically generated sentence triplets to fine-tune this mixture into an embedding model to cover around 90 languages, including around 70-something low-resource languages. But maybe the author forgot one thing, is this mixture 7 billion model was trained on the English and code data, not other languages. I guess this model won't perform well on the on other languages, except English and coding and maybe a little bit main, not low resource languages. I doubt it will work, but also in the paper they told, they shared that this model doesn't work well on the low resource languages. I think it's mostly because of the backbone was not trained on the, uh, was not pre-trained on, the, on, on a lot of low resource languages. Could you mention, thank you both. First of all, thank you for joining us. Second of all, folks, again, we, we've chatted with both Link when, when Gina released the Wearable Works there, Gina Embeddings model, and hoping to hear more news from you guys as well. Bo, could you talk about the embedding dimensions? They have 4,996 dimensions, which is like more than OpenAI's ADA, more than the open source ones. Is that something that people can use, utilize, or is that not super useful anyway? Oh, I cannot actually comment on this because I don't really know. But normally people would prefer to use lower <coughs> dimensionality because the output of the embeddings will be normally stored in the vector database. If you, you are familiar with vector database, basically they store embeddings or they store vectors. Then you need to conduct vector similarity search. This means that you have to, this dimensionality basically affect the the vector embedding retrieval speed. Also, I know some vector database actually charge uh, based on the dimensionality of the embeddings, which means the, the higher dimensionality you have, the more money you have to pay for this kind of cloud services. So actually, I prefer a lower uh, dimensionality to use a compact vector to represent more information. So if you look at OpenAI other embedding 0 to the, the, their dimensionality was around once. 536, so 1,536. And the uh, Gina V2 embedding models, the base version have a dimensionality of 738, something like that. Yeah, I see. And and there is 4,000, which like will definitely uh, cost folks more if, if they want to use this. Interesting release. Synthetic data sets looks like going to be more and more used. We know they're used in, in fine-tuning of, of open source LMs. We know that they're used like uh, across everywhere and people are skeptical, but it looks like using synthetic data sets also for embedding model fine-tuning is also possible. And both think, I didn't know that they used LoRa and they did like less than a thousand training steps, right? To get this model and get to the top of the leaderboards. Anything else here to recap on this model that you want to mention or are we covered fully? 
I just want to say really quickly for oh sorry really really quickly for the audience the reason that embeddings take up so much space for other languages is because when every language model ha has a vocabulary file and what they do is words that are commonly used or verbs and stuff they get their own token which is just a is just a number zero five six seven and uh, other languages they don't add complete words but they merely add the letter. So if you have if you have from many different Asian languages or Arabic or whatever, they just add the one letter. So each letter now takes up zero, five, six, seven, eight number. So that's why it becomes it can even make a big difference in the API bill when when you're paying for it. Like it can make two two three times more because it's taking it letter per letter and not uh, compressing on entire words at once when the models are not optimized for the other languages. Awesome. New state-of-the-art embeddings model, but it remains to be an interesting kind of uh, design, but we don't know how useful this is. We'll keep watch whether or not this technique brings about some, some more advancements in the creation of embedding model. Thank you, Bo, for covering this. Feel free to stick around with us. I want to welcome Junyang Lin to the stage. Welcome, Junyang. Yeah, I'm Junyang, tech lead of the Quen team of Alibaba Group. Yeah, I would like to talk about the betting model. Actually, I'm very interested in it. I'm working in uh, an LMM, but I'm also cooperating with our embedding team. Actually, my colleagues are working on GTE, as you mentioned. Uh, my my question is maybe Volpa. My question is, what is the essential advantage of decoder-only model in comparison with encoder-only model? As uh, we have seen that Previously, we have seen a lot of embedding models. We have done things with bird-like models. We won't use GPT models to, to do it like that. And today we have seen something uh, based on uh, Mistral, but we did not see really large advantages in comparison with small model. You see that the previous state-of-the-art models are uh, only have half a billion parameters, but uh, now you have 7 billion parameters, but the gap is actually quite small. In average, I just checked the table, E5 is 66, and for BGE, it's 64. I don't think it is quite a large gap. And it is just for M MTB. MTB is not a very large benchmark. And there are a lot of in-domain data. And actually, in my experience, it is not that hard to fit into that benchmark to reach a very good performance. So, so my question is still, what is the essential advantage of decoder-only model for embedding. I'm very curious about it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so actually, um, I don't really know because most of the research on the embeddings or embedding models or representation models, or what do you call it, dense retrievers based on the encoder-only architecture. So decoder architecture embedding model is something really new, but not exactly too new. This is because normally I think people did some testing on this decoder-only architecture. The first choice was from, I think also from Hugging Face. Some, someone called Nicholas, he's also the author of the MTB leaderboard. He basically used and published a paper, something called SGPT. This is the first decoder-only architecture trying to produce vector embeddings. So because of the, he tested the, normally when we are building the embedding model, it's, the rationale is actually quite simple. You, after you get the model, you get all the token embeddings and you take the average of these token embeddings to 
learn a representation of this model, or you use the CLS token as a representation of this model. But because decoder-only models, the tokens cannot attend to the future tokens. So what Nicholas did is he basically assigned a higher weights to the token embeddings appeared to the later tokens. So you will see the first token might have a very low weights. So if that if it is a second token, then the weight will be higher. So if the token is at the end of the sentence, which means you will get give highest like the weights to this kind of token averaging architecture, he called it weighted mean average. That's the first decoder only architecture used to train embedding models. But on the MTB leaderboard, it doesn't perform so well. It then this Mistral AI, Mistral 7B or E5, Mistral is basically the second um, try on, on this direction. Uh, in terms of the MTBB leaderboard, it's actually not a small leaderboard. It has around 63 uh, like tasks or datasets, and some of the retrieval datasets or the tasks are actually quite large. So it's not a leaderboard which could easily overfit. The overfitting is actually came out from July or August last year after the rack become really a thing. So people are publishing more models than this leaderboard gets a little bit <laughs> destroyed. <laughs> a little bit more popular, right? Yeah. Uh, welcome to the stage. I want to skip to the next thing just in, in, in the purpose of time, but definitely I will add both of you to the, the group chat that we have with the... Um, Thursday I community and would love to continue the conversation there. Thank you for joining, Junyang. The next thing that I wanted to talk about is actually fitting because I think you're the one who, who posted about this. It's now pinned to the top of the space. You guys released Quen VL and update to Quen VL. For folks who are familiar with, who are not familiar with Quen and the Quen VL LMM, Quen yeah. is from Alibaba, right? You guys released uh, several sizes before and Quen VL is the vision enabled version of this. Previously, it w and we reported on this on Thursday a couple of times, it was on the top of 7B Quen, and recently you've upgraded this to the plus version with 14B. Could you talk about Quen VL, how cool this is, and how much more can we expect from the multimodal area from, from you guys? Because this is super cool. I tested it, it, it really performs well. Thanks for the appreciation. Yeah, we previously just released the large length model. We have released uh, four sizes from. Uh, uh, 7, 14, and we have a very small one for 1.8, and uh, mostly for mobile, and we have a little, very large one, 72. And for VL, and we based on the 7 billion uh, large length model, and we built Quen VL, and this is our first release, and it is uh, more like an experimental thing. It performs well on the benchmarks, and but if you really use it, uh, it's still far from uh, application, but for Quen VL Plus, uh, it is quite different. Uh, it is somewhat, I, I think if you uh, really experience it, you, you will find that it is somewhat like uh, GPT-4V. Uh, it's still lagging behind uh, GPT-4V. It is not a very a large model, but we find that we are now uh, really approaching it. And uh, we have compared the Quen VL Plus with the Gemini Pro, and we find that in many scenarios, they can reach very similar performance, and sometimes we can out-compete uh, Gemini Pro. And we also have tested it on the benchmark data sets, so if you are really interested about 
large multi-model in the benchmarks and you can check on MMMU and Cbench or things like that. I think they are good benchmarks for now, but if you really try it, you will find that it becomes smarter and it has fewer hallucinations actually in comparison with the previous visual language model. That's awesome. I tested both. I've def definitely tested CONVL when it came out uh, and I tested IDEFIX. So we definitely are into the LMMs here in Thursday. So we tested IDEFIX. Lava here worked on kind of the Obsidian, like smaller models. Do you find that like the bigger, the underlying brain of LLM behind this, the, the better mm -hmm. the model performs? Do you definitely find that? Yes, the larger the large language model, it will help the visual reasoning because the visual reasoning is really relying on the capabilities of your large language model. Yeah. Another key is that we also scale the model by the vision encoder, not just scaling up the large language model. I can cannot tell too too many details about the architecture or things like that, but we're still using uh, similarly the same model and the same training recipes. First, you pre-train the model uh, with large scale in text pairs, and then uh, you use multi-task uh, data because there are a lot of vision language task data. So you can dial it with capabilities and then you align it with, you usually do with T or now we are also working on HFs or things like that. The recipe is quite simple, but what our model is different from uh, the other most other large multi-model is that we pay a lot of attention to the pre-training stage. As you mentioned, LABA or mini GPT-4 or things like that, they may focus more on fine-tuning. Uh, we have also done things like that, but we find that it is hard for it to generalize to more scenarios or, or things like that. Uh, uh, it, it is hard to generalize for a model without uh, sufficient pre-training. So we spend a lot of time uh, uh, building large-scale pre-training data. So it is uh, more about uh, model scaling as well as data scaling. And we also test some techniques to keep the original information of the images, because if you if you train your vision language model, you may do a lot of processing that may cause a lot of information loss. So we have tried some techniques to keep the information during the pre-training so that we can input very large resolution images into the model so that you can find that the model becomes smarter because they can really understand small, small objects. And another new capability of the new QuantVL is that it is quite capable in text recognition. OCR, yeah, Even I was just about to ask about this. OCR is really good compared to the previous models. Yeah. Yeah, because we have some new techniques by recognizing the small object and also understanding high resolution images. So we can just use OCR data to train the model. Its OCR capability becomes much better. So you can just give a picture of a PDF and then you ask it to summarize and you ask some questions about it and it can answer quite well. And surprisingly, we have found some uh, emergent capabilities and we did not implement the capabilities into the model, but we, we have found uh, a case. Uh, I can show you a case. Suppose you are driving and you have seen some uh, traffic signs and there are words on the traffic signs and then you ask, uh, suppose you are an automatic driver and then you give some choices for boy to do uh, whether to speed up or speed down and give give the reason and it can do 
do such things. And it is very surprising for it because uh, it can uh, make a decision and give its reason. It's quite surprising. And uh, another thing is that uh, it can even solve uh, mathematical problems. Uh, so if you just uh, give a, a picture of a, a mathematical problem, uh, for example, uh, Oh, from like a te a textbook picture uh, with yeah. a drawing? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, things like that. We have an example, which is a, a triangle. You know the length of the two legs, and you ask the model with the detailed length of the other leg, the other side, and it can calculate and gives the process of the mathematical reasoning. Because our log length model has the capability of solving mathematical problems by reasoning and it is now very popular and most LLMs can do these things but if it combines with the vision information it will make us feeling very surprising about it yeah that's awesome Junyang yeah, thank you so much for the yeah, deep dive about this can we this model yeah. is not open source weights yet right you guys didn't release this we cannot run this could you speak about like when and if this is coming to to us ability to use this Locally? Yeah, I cannot tell uh, you guys the detailed time, but I I am trying to uh, make it open source. I, I hope it will be as soon as possible. I hope uh, in a month it will happen or things like that. Yeah, because we really hope that you can use, use the model, but there are some difficulties for us to do things and we need some time for the preparation. Yeah. Absolutely. So first of all, thank you so much for coming up and, and, and talking about this. Second, thank you for the models. Like we, we've used Quen before and Quen VL and this definitely no CR area. I've noticed like a significant uh, improvement. Uh, I've tested this with a very obscure image of a card and it gave me as good performance as GPT-4 Vision did, which is incredible for a model this size. And like, that's right. Nistan, go ahead if you have a question for Jane. Also, I had more questions. Since a lot of the clip style encoders squish uh, together the images. For Baklava, we're trying to account more of that now. I was just curious, did you guys move on to a larger model or is it around the same size as like the 336 by 336 as before? And so, yeah, so my question is, should you guys move on to a, a larger image embedding model and uh, the other one i wanted to know what's your opinion on uh, different takes on doing vision stuff as like uh, fuyu for example where they just yeah. arrange, uh, arrange everything in a row and then that doesn't matter too much on what the the resolution is on how they're doing it so yeah i wanted to know yeah i guess your question is about scaling the resolution uh, actually because previously we are using for the Open source Quen VR, we are using 448 times 448. That is relatively a small resolution. As you mentioned, Fuyu, uh, I think Fuyu uh, is a very uh, good practice uh, of uh, using things like uh, dynamic resolution. Because uh, uh, as I said, uh, you can keep the information of uh, the original images. But uh, this is uh, one of the techniques. But uh, the key is that uh, you have to use uh, large-scale data and carefully clean it, and then you you train it into your pre-train it into your models. Uh, spend a lot of efforts in your model scaling and data scaling well, and you keep the information just like who you did, and you will create a 
very good model. And as you mentioned about the vision encoder, yeah, for now, the vision encoder has some problems with things like resolution because as you start from clip in vision encoder, clip VIT, uh, so you will suffer from the problems. It is originally trained on like small resolutions like 336 and maybe for the next step, we will consider building the vision encoder by ourselves and then and using it to combine with a larger Quen model. And also we need to scale the Quen for example, to the 72 billion, because the reasoning capabilities mostly came from the large language models. You need to scale both. Yeah, there are still a lot of difficulties, but we might see that maybe in some day we can really surpass the GPT-4V at this moment. Yeah. I found the same thing. I haven't released the model, but it it looked good when moving to a larger 11B model yeah. versus using 7B for Baklava. The even though I just used the exact same, did not further train the image encoder. The the language side of the model was eating the embeddings a lot better. I was digesting them much better, and the the, yeah. the end results were really good. We tried it on some uh, some farming uh, data, like sea uh, farming, and it was giving out much better. Uh, yeah, I tried it on like X-rays of medical and farming, and I found out even though the embeddings are the exact same, uh, the mm -hmm. image embeddings, it was just giving on much much better information by going a bit larger. And I, I was surprised because normally you expect same embeddings, you just need like a small tiny model, you know, just to put them together. But no, it actually made a, a big difference, and that was also surprising to me. Yeah, that that is a very great insight because I think previously there are a lot of people do not. Uh, pay enough attention to the size of the LLM uh, in many systems. When they use LLM, they may think that in most cases, they may think that 7 billion is enough or things like that. But actually for vision language model, we find that scaling up the model, we find that in general, the vision language model will perform better when you scale up the large language model. In comparison with 7 billion model, we find that the 14 billion model performs way better than the 7 billion model. Yeah, I think we have reached very similar conclusion. So we're waiting for the results with the 70B uh, Gwen, once once you guys release this, uh, Junyang. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for, for covering this. And, and uh, we're, we're hoping to see QuenVL uh, in a place where we could like actually download the weights and, and use this. Uh, but definitely, we, we've been talking about LMMs, large multimodal models, in 24 being the year of multimodal models. We have quite a few folks here on stage that train them. And we have some folks in the audience as well that release like smaller ones. Uform and then works on Baklava team with Pharrell and we've talked about Obsidian as well, a smaller one as well. It's interesting to see that the bigger the underlying model is, the, the higher quality the, the, the vision is. And so we're going to hopefully see more attempts there. But we do expect them to be smaller and smaller to run on devices, right? This is the end goal. The end goal is for us to be able to run things on device as well. All right. I think we have... So thank you, Junyang, for joining us. Feel free to stick around. We have a breaking news, folks. AI breaking news. Coming at you only on Thursday I. 
<laughs> I love using the sound. Folks, if you know Thursday, you know that as we speak on Thursday, many AI releases happen on Thursday for some reason. And thanks to Junaid, who co-hosts, who I co-host the Denver AI meetup with him. By the way, if you're from Denver, feel free to, to follow us and ask us when and join us physical in the physical world. We do the AI and Tinkers event in Denver. Junaid just sent me that GPT store launches next week. He just got an email and all of you who created like a custom GPT probably got an email as well. If you remember when a GPT on Dev Day released uh, GPTs, they also talked about the store for them as well. Right now, the only way to share GPTs, custom GPTs, is to send links to your friends. And they've talked about the marketplace for them. So back at Dev Day, they released kind of two major announcements. One of them is the GPTs that are consumer-based, that OpenAI kind of hosts for you, and then it doesn't cost you anything, and only premium accounts can access those. And another one is the Assistance API, where you as a developer, you kind of create agents and you pay for the storage you as a developer you pay for all of these so gpts you don't pay nothing you just kind of create them and if you if those of you who maybe remember when we talked about them i created one called visual weather gpt that's fairly successful and there's others like Grimoire from Nick Dobos, a friend of the pod as well. And they, when they announced this, they also said openly, they also said, hey, we're going to have a marketplace for those GPTs. So people who will actually use them, you will get a, a revenue share as a creator of the GPT. A very interesting attempt of theirs because the plugins, let's say, failed almost entirely. And they deprecated the plugin ecosystem. And honestly, it was really hard to find the plugins in there. You had to enable them. So now you have this like custom GPTs store that's coming in a week. So I don't know if it's going to be exactly a week. They say, the email literally says, Dear GPT Builder, we want to let you know that we'll launch the GPT store next week. If you're interested in sharing GPT, you'll need to do a review, blah, 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 properties and set up a builder profile, which I'm going to do immediately after this. Because visual weather, it's one of the cooler GPTs that I was able to to see and many people used it. So I'm looking forward to see how much, see and report to you how much revenue share I'll actually see from this GPT. A very interesting one. Some breaking news. I love breaking news. And I think we're almost there, folks. We're coming up on two hours. It's We got 10 minutes left. And the last two things I wanted to cover real quick, the OCU NLP lab, they released mind to web dataset and evaluation benchmark. mind to web basically collected a bunch of web acting agent tasks, you know, ordering a flight on the United website or looking for a specific Netflix show, etc. And they've collected previously, I think it was back in June. Yeah, in June, they collected like 2,300 tasks from over 130 websites. Stuff like booking flights and finding folks on Twitter, for example, they have one task. Hey, find Elon Musk on Twitter and follow him. So th those type of like agentry tasks, they collected those. And previously with GPT-4, what they tried to just pass the HTML or the text of the website and get GPT-4 to tell you like what to click. And GPT-4 did, I don't know, maybe around, succeeded around 2% of the time and the rest of it failed because it needed vision and websites are built for people. And these guys then just recently released a C-Act is the same attempt to solve this mind-to-web just with the vision capabilities of GPT-4, which we've known, we've talked about, we just talked about, Junyang just dove deep into LMMs as well. And they show that with the vision capabilities, C-Act, their agent that, that clicks this, and with grounding, with action grounding, which we're going to talk about in a second, achieves a 50% score on this evaluation task, right? GPT-4 without vision gets around 2%. I don't know if it's 2 or 20, they may have a typo there, but uh, C-Act achieves a 50% 
um, evaluation score on this mind to web data set that they evaluation they released as well. And the way it does this, it does first an action generation. So it produces a textual description of the action that needs to happen. And it uses the actual screenshot of the website to actually do this correctly. And if you use GPT-4 Vision, it's really good. OCR is really good as well. But definitely it's understanding of how a website behaves, what a button is, where to click, what's enabled, what's active. That's very impressive. And so it uses their C Act first uses action generation to produce a textual description for each step. And then it performs an action grounding. And I think this is the interesting thing here. Action grounding identifies the correct corresponding HTML element, like the button or the action needed, like a click or a type or typing a name or select or something. And because it's very interesting that they say because websites, we have a rendered vision of the HTML, but we also have the HTML source code. It actually maps incredibly well to the multimodality of GPT-4 vision, where you can provide the understanding for the action in in a screenshot and have it understand where should I go in order to perform one action or another one. But then in order to actually ground the actions, they use the HTML code behind the scenes. When they find that the, the correct the correct elements on the HTML page corresponding to the action that, that they need to do. And this action grounding is helps them perform significantly well on, on, on those tasks. It's very exciting, first of all, because this area of browsing the web for you is, it's been really annoying so far with just code. If you ever wrote a parser or something that goes to the website, parses something, it's been really annoying. And definitely those parsers do not understand how the website actually looks. And with, with Vision and LMMs, it's going to be very interesting to see how far people can take this. It's also very interesting of whether or not we would like those agents to actually do stuff for us, right? Will you be able to have your agent book a flight for you? Do you need this? To, to, do you actually need to browse the web of United or is it better to a custom United agent or something like this? So it's going to be interesting as this research continues, but it's great to see that as we speculated, the Vision part of GPT-4 actually significantly helps on those specific tasks of browsing web and doing things like this. In addition to this, we know already that there's a lot of agent frameworks that do this. For example, Multion was able to actually go through the California DMV license test and completely successfully and actually get a license. I think Div from Multion actually showed a license that was delivered to his door from the agent that does this. And I think they use Vision as well. And multiple other Vision-enabled kind of agents are running around the web. So it's great to see the C-Act uh, thing from the OCU NLP lab coming out. And the paper obviously was released as well. And the grounding, action grounding is a, a cool idea. Folks on stage, feel free. If you have any comments on C-Act, have you seen this? Have you gotten excited as, as I got excited about this? Feel free to comment. I'm pretty excited, Alex, about it because you know that we are working with agents and a lot of actions are taking place using these screens, actually, in some of the enterprise applications as well in terms of invoice recognition and everything. So this is going to be right. We haven't tried the framework yet. We have a few things planned before that, but we are definitely looking into integrating it if it stands the the requirement. Currently, we are using things like Puppeteer already for orchestrating that, but this could be really interesting. Puppeteer, just for folks who don't know, is, is a way to run kind of actions on an HTML running a browser and actually say, hey, click this button, click this element, do this thing. Go ahead, Nistan. Oh, 
I love this application layer stuff because we'll just be able to swap in open source models once they're, they're good enough for this and you'll be able to just run them locally and have full ownership of uh, of your data. So yeah, that, that's what I'm going to say. I'm glad they're doing it. I think one of the comments from the author from C-Act was, hey, you know, next we're going to explore the open source models open source weren't as good he mentioned the open source models are really good at like object detection but not that great at specific text etc so jun yang i think i tagged you under that thread and hopefully once you guys release something like a quenvl plus would they be able to plug this in have you seen the siak thing or what's your comments on it yeah i have just read the twitter and i haven't read the paper or the detail stuff but i i'm I know the task. Actually, there is a previous work called Cog Agent, which is doing something very similar. Actually, we are doing some testing on this task to see if it can browse the web page and uh, do some actions or things like that. I'm not surprised GPT-4B can do these things because I know uh, the length model of GPT-4 uh, is very capable of uh, uh, reasoning and planning. And if it in integrates with the uh, visual understanding, it will do uh, something uh, very interesting. And we find that QuenVL can, uh, to some extent, uh, uh, do these tasks. And maybe later we will also uh, re release uh, uh, the evaluation of uh, these tasks or, or things like that. One thing I need, I would like to comment is about grounding. And actually last year in our research, we have unified the grounding with text generation and also for QuenVL, another typical basic capability of QuenVL is the visual grounding. You send a prompt and you just draw the bounding box of the related objects. And now for the new model, it can draw the boxes more accurately. If the basic capabilities, you have very high level basic capabilities and you integrate them together, combine them together, and you will do very fantastic stuff. Yeah. No, I just wanted to add to, I think it was Cheng Yang who was talking about it. So we are actually trying out the Cog VLM and Cog Agent because Cog Agent is actually, you have 11 billion visual parameters and almost, I think, 6 or 7 billion language parameters that it is trained on. So that is that could be a formidable competitor as well in, in terms of the actions. The one thing that Cog VLM is good at that our models of it is not is actually pointing at coordinates on the screen and that's yeah you, you need that for web browsing <laughs> you need it to point accurately and uh, yeah there, there are still some balance there to uh, to figure out again keep in mind three months from now all of this is going to look very old there's going to be other models and replacements out Yep. Speaking of how quickly things change, the last thing that I wanted to cover before I let you guys go, I know we're two hours, so I'll briefly cover this. Stanford, who features prominently in Thursday, we keep talking about the stuff that they released, Mobile Aloha. Mobile Aloha is a video. If you haven't seen this, I pinned it to the top of the space. We'll be in the show notes afterwards. Back in March, folks from Stanford introduced Aloha, which is a low-cost open hardware system for bimanual teleoperation. Somehow out of this 
mess of words they, they got they found aloha in it which is basically a way for a human to drive two arms and then uh, robotic arms on the other side will perform the same as the human does so teleoperation right and uh, i will add the image of this in the show notes it looks pretty cool and so it's like a basically like a four-hour robot that you control two arms and then the, the other arms that you control they perform the action and using off-the-shelf like open hardware materials not specific stuff you can actually build one yourself for around like twenty thousand dollars or you can actually buy one so they released this back in march and since then they've been like since uh, uh, 10 months later they created the mobile version of this which looks like a roomba with a pc tower on top of it and a laptop or whatever and this thing allows the operator to actually be strapped in there in the arms and perform a bunch of tasks like cook and clean and order like an elevator to come up etc and so they they have a top camera from this as well so they see all of these actions from the perspective of the robot and not the human and right and so they have this human walking around stanford probably like doing these tasks with the like teleoperation robot and now they released like a, a mounted version of this with a you know w- with a robotics arm and the brain basically that allows the bot to do the same task autonomously that the user already performed it so they taught the robot like with the user operator with it's, there's a metaphor in here somewhere for sure uh, but they taught the bot uh, and they recorded all of the required information etc they probably have a vision encoder somewhere in there as well and then they, they basically showed a bunch of examples of that bot operating and doing those examples on its own They're, they show a bunch of like, cooking stuff it breaks a few eggs and puts them in and whisks them together it, it like it, it cooks a shrimp and it's pretty incredible to see just on the video of like the task that it does now again this is not like generalized task it doesn't do them on its own like those are user created tasks that it knows how to do but it does generalize to some extent it generalizes for example they have a task to push chairs inside you know in restaurants at the end of the day they push the chairs inside so they, they show this task and then you know they taught it on three chairs and there's two more chairs so it generalizes and goes and completes the the other two chairs as well and they have um uh they have a bunch of other examples like cooking, etc. It's pretty cool to see. Uh, this adds to, if you guys remember, we briefly covered Ego XO4D, which is a data set from Meta, a huge data set can, can, consists of, I don't know, a thousand tasks or so, the task like from a first person perspective and a third person perspective, and collected a bunch of metrics around it from cooking and cleaning and sports and healthcare. Basically, a huge data set from a First person perspective, they strapped the camera on top of the people recording this face, but they also had a camera watching that person from the side to also take it around the context. Uh, so this connects to the robotics era where, you know, we have this like huge data sets and now there's like open hardware that people can actually buy. It costs like $20,000 or please the previous version of this of this Aloha bot cost twenty thousand dollars. I don't know if the mobile version is much more expensive, but you know, smaller labs like Stanford that, that don't have the huge, you know, money and robotics like uh, the Tesla bot, for example, they'd be able to still show us some wins and and build bots that cook for us. And my personal question about this is, when will they have bot that folds laundry? Because that's personally the first thing. If I buy a bot, that's the first thing I'm gonna <laughs> look for the abilities. Can it fold laundry for me? Because I hate that task. Mobile Aloha is pretty cool. We're around the, the two hour mark. 
we've covered a lot this week so let's run quickly through the stuff that we've covered uh, we've covered the new wizard coder which was breaking news for us it released two hours ago before achieving a 79% of human eval barely breaking the kind of the percentage point from what it was fine-tuned on which is deep sea coder but still it's pretty cool to see advances from wizard coder we've talked about maybe using this in a proxy behind the VS Code stuff is pretty cool. We covered Technium's Hermes 2 fine-tune on Solar 10.7b. Solar models now rule the open LLM leaderboard on Hugging Face. They're not as good as other models on the kind of the LMC's human tested evaluation, but definitely they are very good at the benchmarks. And so now we have a new Hermes 2 Solar that's around 10 billion parameters. You can run this on the Mac M1, I think. I've been running this locally. It's pretty, pretty decent. I even told the story about how I used it instead of an actual GPT-4, which refused an instant rem reminder to me to send you that that snippet that GPT-4 failed or refused to translate for me. We also covered Microsoft's new state-of-the-art embeddings model called E5, and we actually had Bo Wang from Gina and give us an in-depth kind of view as an expert on embeddings. And it's huge, it's an embedding model that was trained on Mistral. And apparently based on the brief feedback we had from Bo and kind of discussion, because of its size and dimensionality, it may not be super practical. But then a conversation with Jun Yang was very interesting to hear about that type of approaches for embeddings models and maybe we'll see some more stuff. Specifically, that was trained on synthetic data and was trained on like a bunch of languages as well. And it was like a LoRa on top of Mistral. So it's very easy to train a top, you know, performing embedding model, but it's huge and not sure how practical this is. We covered Samsung is about to announce some AI stuff. We definitely mentioned breaking news from Junaid that OpenAI GPT store is about to launch next week. And so if you had an idea for a GPT and you want to make some potential money from OpenAI, now is your time. We covered perplexity announces around and now is, is a leading kind of proprietary search with AI. Then on Vision stuff, we had the great pleasure. Thank you, Jun Yang, for joining us. We had the great pleasure to have Jun Yang from a tech lead from the Alibaba group that works on LLMs and LMMs. And we've talked about Quen VL. Quen VL is a large multimodal model that's now upgraded to the 14 billion parameters, hopefully coming soon in, in the ability for us to use this. Right now you can use this on Hagen Face and this will be in show notes as well. And we've talked about its enhanced OCR capabilities and the fact that it has emergent properties like be, being able to solve math problems just by screenshots, which is super cool, and other emergent properties that they've seen that they have, haven't trained on. And the very great insight that the bigger the underlying language model is the better performing it even on visual tasks which is super cool we're going to continue probably seeing some stuff around there in my personal use cases quinn actually performed as well as gpt4 for some tasks which is really cool and then we talked about c act just briefly briefly oh we actually had vb from hugging face we actually had Omar from Hagenfest as well, Chief Lama Officer. <laughs> but we had Vivi before, and Vivi talked about the recent release from uh, Suno and NVIDIA that beats Whisper on English automatic speech recognition as much as one less mistake per 100 words and runs significantly faster with the new architecture as well. It's not doing great on other languages because it's only English right now, but it's significantly, significantly faster 
than the fastest Whisper implementation from Hugging Face, which is again from VB, and it's called Insanely Fast Whisper. So apparently this new, not only it beats it on word error rate, which is the metric on different data sets, it also is significantly faster, which is super cool. And recently we just talked about the mobile Aloha bot, the bot that uh, is able to drive around Stanford and click buttons and cook food, etc. and super cool. I think that's most of what we covered today, folks. It's been great to have you just about two and a half, no, two hours and 15 minutes. I want to say a huge thanks to the host on stage, co-host Nistan and Umesh. Thank you for joining me from week to week. The guests who joined, we had Bo, we had Vibi, we had Omar, we had Jun Yang, and we had Asaf as well. Welcome, folks. Thank you for joining. Always welcome to join as well. My name is Alex Volkov. I'm an AI evangelist with Weights and Biases. So shout out Weights and Biases as well for letting me do this as my job. And I love it. And with that, I think we'll end here. Have a great week. And we'll see you next Thursday. Next Thursday, we'll likely have an interview with LM Studio, which is the best way to run these models that we keep talking about on your Mac. And I've been using this and LM Studio is great. So we're going to have a deep dive there. And we're going to talk about all the reasons why such a thing should exist. And I'll see you here next week. Cheers, everyone.